0: Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderbilt, your host today. Welcome to this VPC live event. I'm Jerry Penny on behalf of the Victorian Parents Council. And today in our first session of two, we are talking to Michelle Mitchell, and it's all about handling tricky friendship days. And this is a two-part series. And tonight you'll hear from Michelle and Faye Waterman, who will interview her. So enjoy. Now I'm going to introduce our guest speaker for tonight. Her name is Michelle Mitchell and she's an award-winning speaker and best-selling parenting author. She has been termed the teenage expert by the media and is sought after for her compassionate and grounded advice for parenting tweens and teens. Michelle started her career as a teacher but soon discovered a special interest in well-being. She left teaching in 2000 to found Youth Excel, a boutique health promotion charity which delivered tailored, tailor-made life skill programs and psychology services to thousands of young people and their families. Today she uses her experience to write and speak in schools, community events through the media. Welcome Michelle. And thank you for your time. Thank you
1: for having me. What a beautiful introduction. And hello to everyone who's joined us tonight. Thank you for your time.
0: Look, uh, Michelle, tonight's um, conversation or topic is about handling tricky friendship days. Let's talk a little bit about what that actually means.
1: Okay, so when our kids come home from school, and we can see their mood coming before them. You have had those days, Faye? You know, when you can feel them coming through the door and you know things haven't gone so well. Most parents are then confronted by this situation of, okay, how much do I step in? How much do I let go of? How much do I get involved in this? How do I help them? How do I shift the mood in my house that afternoon? And there's a whole lot of decisions we make as parents when our kids do experience these tricky friendship days.
0: Okay, now I've got a few questions here. So, um, can we talk about the context and where tweens and teens are in developmental developmentally? Um, dynamics of friendships in tweens and teens, brain and social development.
1: Yeah, can you talk sure. About that? Yeah, my specialty is probably tweens and teens. And I think it's so important that parents understand that developmentally so many of their challenges that they have are absolutely normal. Their brain's going through a huge amount of change which makes them very aware socially so they're a lot more switched on to where they're sitting socially at school and what other people think of them. They've also got these big overwhelming emotions that they're living with and they're prepared to take bigger risks in those teenage years and especially risks that are attached to a big social reward. So those three things make a big cocktail that come together. And when you think of hundreds of kids going through the same things developmentally in the same space together at school, it's no wonder they have challenges. The price we pay for human connection is is rejection and conflict and challenges. And so it does come At a price for our kids as well and one thing parents can remind themselves is something that nigel latter said nigel is from new zealand and he's an incredible psychologist but he said the cure for 13 is 14 the cure for 14 is 15. in other words some of these challenges that our kids go through with their friendships the only way through them is through them
0: yeah and and it 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 helps when you have the parents who understand what or kind of understand what they're going through to help them uh, or seek outside help for them if they can't help them themselves.
1: That's and right. And all we have to do is flip back to maybe the year 7, eight, nine, 10 for ourselves, and there'll be moments and pockets in time where we experience probably some highs in friendships but also some really big lows. And there's not many people that get away with having not experienced the extremities of those things.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when we, when kids go to school and they kind of don't fit in and the other kids start talking about them, there's a bit of gossip going on. What sort of strategies do these kids that are con- that are left out or felt left out, what sort of strategies do they need to be able to cope with this sort of situation?
1: Okay. All of our kids need strategies to cope with gossip. And you'll notice as a parent then gossip and friendship dramas and conflict always seems to arise at the worst times which is probably the exam block or the week before exam block because our kids are tighter and they're more stressed and they've been together then for six or seven weeks so tensions are building up and oftentimes school holidays is almost respite for parents (laughs) after this peak in friendship issues has actually happened and so When gossip starts what's so important for our kids to know is that they need to put the hat on that says to themselves I'm not the teacher and I'm not the parent I need to handle this as a friend to friend and it's best if they can start subtle and work their way up and so a subtle approach might actually be you know like um, we don't need to, I wouldn't want to worry about that right now, let's go and do something else. So someone might come up with them with some gossip and say, they can say, look, I don't want to worry about that right now, let's go play something else or let's talk about something else. Um, So just subtly changing the subject and subtly moving on is super, super important. And then if that doesn't work, they need a range of other strategies to move to. So they're actually Mm -hmm. just working their way up the scale, but we don't want them to confront like a teacher or a parent would.
0: How do, you, how do you give kids those strategies to be able to deal with that? Because, you know, when they're in their teens, they've got these changes of emotions and hormonal um, changes going on and all the rest of it. How do, you, how do you teach them strategies to be able to deal with that gossip or anything else that's going on that's, that's quite confronting for them?
1: Well, I know the parents that are tuning in tonight are between years seven and five, the majority of them are. So they're in those kind of tween years before they hit those heavy-duty teen years.
0: And, you know, what, what if someone's being actually picked on? You know, they go to school every day and a particular, there's a particular child or a particular group that's picking on a child. What sort of strategies would you give that child to cope with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, kids need to know that um, adults are there at any time they feel over their head. So they're at, at whenever they need to access an adult, they need to realize they can do that. And every kid's comfort level is actually very different for that. But along with that, there's so many things in the playground that kids don't want to talk to an adult about and they want to be able to handle themselves. And so many things they need to be able to handle themselves as well. And for our shyer kids who maybe are not used to being so assertive, that takes a little bit of practice for them. And I call it pushing back with truth. Mm -hmm. Someone can be pushing at your child with meanness. And we teach our kids to be polite and we teach our kids to be kind. But there's a place for pushing back with truth. And I think it's very important that they realize that being assertive and standing up for themselves is not in conflict with being kind to someone.
0: Yeah. And it, it, it's pretty tough for kids these days, isn't it? With what, what's going on in the world and, and COVID and going back to school and dealing with all these things. And particularly if you have that child that's, that's shy.
1: Yeah. And look, even every child will handle the situation differently but I love the idea of kids having a Mr or Mrs nobody in their lives that they Mm -hmm. can confidentially come home and talk to about things that they feel like is over their heads. Kids are really reluctant to go to teachers at school because they get concerned that's going to escalate and maybe backfire on them and I think as parents one thing we can offer our children is a place that's really confidential and that if we, if even parents feel like it needs to be taken to the next step and needs to talk to the school about it, that they do it in partnership with their kids and their kids actually agree that it's the best next step for them to do. But there's an exhaustive list of things that you can do before you do that and and that's the thing that builds our kids' resilience and and confidence along the way as well.
0: Mm, Confidence is a really important thing, isn't it? Now, we've got another question here. Friendship issues and come home and how can we help? Carrying people's problems home, what to do if a friend is going through a hard time? Yeah.
1: Friends helping friends is a really big issue these days because kids are in this position where they are so much more aware of mental health. They are talking quite deeply and intensely oftentimes, especially when they move towards those teenage years with each other and they're accessible to each other via technology. And so they tend to lean on each other quite heavily. And I wanna really commend young people because they do an amazing job of supporting each other. They're often attuned to the the subtle changes in each other's um, behavior and moods that adults can be oblivious to sometimes. But when I talk to young Mm. people about their load in life and what's important for them to carry, I talk to them about a backpack. And if they are coming home at the end of the day with their backpack full of not only their own problems but you know their friends problems and you know their other friends problems they're going to be coming home and that backpack is going to weigh very heavily on them and the first thing i want them to do is be able to open up that backpack and actually take out the things that are not theirs and actually process those and that's where mr and mrs nobody comes in wonderfully we all need someone we can process with nobody so they're not having to feel like they're carrying that backpack around with them all afternoon and then to bed at night.
0: Right. So this backpack that they bring home with them with all the stresses and strains of certain issues that, that happen at school and Mr and Mrs, nobody now Mr and Mrs, nobody is just them having a conversation with themselves. Is that, who Mr. and Mrs. Nobody is? I'm curious. No, we
1: talk, we're talking about caring or a helpful adult in their life. So either their parents or, guess, right. you know, if they live with carers or their grandma or whoever it is in their life that they tend to talk to. There's this important process point that or, And trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Helpful adults in their life, they're consistent, they're, they take good care of them, they're safe people in their lives. And not many kids go to school and go, hey, I talked to my mum or I talked to my dad about this last night and I feel so much better for it, you know. They don't make a big announcement at school. But confident kids actually have hidden support and that hidden support is, is oftentimes their parents waiting in the wings for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Another question here, Michelle. What if our kids uh, are really sad about friendships? And when kids are sad about friendships, what what do they need to do?
1: Yeah. Okay, let me take an example. This week I spoke to a mum over, just messenger, and her daughter was just so sad that she wasn't great academically at school. She was really struggling. She was only passing a subject, but she worked really hard. So her effort was way up there, just wasn't an academic kid. And she wasn't the most popular in the class either. So she wasn't one of those kids who stood out and shone very brightly. And she was kind of in the background and her mum was saying she was coming home feeling so sad every night about it. And her mum said, look, what can I do to make her happy? What, you know, what, how can we turn this around? And I said, sometimes I think kids reach this point in their life where they have to let go of the ideal and embrace the real. And instead of making her happy, I just talked to this mom about maybe your daughter's really grieving the person that she wants to be, but no, she isn't, you know, that she, she may never be that kid that gets 10 out of 10 on a spelling or in a maths. And if we can sit with her in that sadness and acknowledge it, it might be easier and quicker for that little girl to let that go so she can actually embrace what's amazing about her. And so in that process, sometimes I think there is a process of grief that our kids go through that is not a negative thing. It's actually part of their self-discovery.
0: Mm. And and kids, are, they, they are discovering themselves all the time, aren't they?
1: They are. And the thing about belonging, like all our kids want to go to school and feel like they belong, they want to feel claimed, they want to feel accepted, um, they want to feel like you know, they're validated, they want somewhere to process their emotions, and that's what kids get in these tight-knit groups where they feel like they belong and they feel like they uh, feel claimed. But within a whole group setting, what's actually also happening is there's a sifting happening, and they're recognizing their uniqueness because they're often comparing themselves to kids around them. So within belonging comes also a sifting and understanding of who you are. Mm
0: and do they do they do this sifting and know that they're doing it or is it just something that is automatic for them to do that sifting
1: I think a lot of our girls particularly I think um I think our boys are quite different but I think I have worked majority of my life with girls and I think girls are very deliberate and they're very analytical and they they can be very, very aware of how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And look, every child is different, but I think for for many young people, the journey of finding themselves and their identity is very deliberate. And sometimes girls don't realize how complex they are either.
0: We can all be very complex, can't we? (laughs) Now, another question here, how to get your daughter to open up and talk about issues that are happening and worrying her. She won't, she won't talk mm-hmm. and she just shuts down.
1: Okay. love talking about this topic. So we're talking mm. about connection, all right? Number one thing, Mum, find the moment, don't force the moment. And as women, I think we automatically think if we can get our kids talking, we've solved the world's problems. So the end goal is always to get them to talk. So we make the assumption that talking is actually going to be the thing that they need and i'd like to suggest that sometimes the next best step for that little girl may not even be the conversation that you think is going to be the big breakthrough moment there's a really big difference between talking and connecting with our kids and connection has to come first Um, connection with our kids is that feeling of closeness a shared bond and then in the back and the background, oftentimes what happens is conversation happens naturally. So if parents are really struggling getting their kids to talk, I say this don't worry about talking, put it to the side. It might not be the next step. What I want you to do is actually find something that you both enjoy doing and do it like a ritual together every day. And I promise you, if your daughter needs to talk, it will happen by itself. It will activity is a perfect way to make people feel safe enough to open up when they're ready to. It
0: mm, makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't
1: it? And also developmentally, Faye, they often use lose their language a little bit during adolescence and that's why they'll say, um, I don't know how I feel, you know? like So it's not unusual for kids to find it difficult to... Get that language out of their prefrontal cortex because there's so much going on up there.
0: Yeah, and it's processing it is, isn't it? Because there is so much going on. There's this learning. There's this friendships. it's you know all these things going on.
1: Yeah,
0: and, and sometimes it hurts it can their be brain to process. Confusing.
1: Yeah, and it sometimes hurts the brain to process <laughs> on the level we think they need to. You know, and. What they more need is for us to just wrap ourselves around them and just walk the journey with them. We get this nervous bystander energy. It's like uh, watching a soccer game and we don't know if our kids are going to win or lose every point, but when it comes socially, the stakes are much, much higher. And so we're standing on the sidelines wanting to get down there and scream instructions and we need to know what to do with that energy. That nervous parent bystander energy is really powerful and our kids can feel it.
0: Mm. can is is it that uh we as parents need to allow these things to happen too and not force them
1: yeah i say to parents lean in and let go so lean into your responsibilities and that will help you let go of their responsibilities and our attachment and our connection to our kids plus simple trust in their life process simple trust that life will bring them the lessons they need is just the perfect foundation for resilience to me yeah
0: and kids are so resilient really aren't they, they really are. they're they amazing really are. they're amazing another question here for you michelle mm-hmm. can you please address how to help your child with fomo when they aren't invited to a friends okay. and others are oh the price we pay
1: what is it the price we pay Mm. for relationships is disappointments are going to come along their journey and we we don't want them to sidestep really feeling that disappointment we want them to feel it but then what we want them to do is to be able to adapt and find joy in another place and kids can be very black and white and they can be very rigid and like I'm not gonna be happy unless I'm invited to that thing. But the reality is, is they can be happy anytime they choose to find joy in another place. And sometimes the process to get there is really mad, maybe sad, and then the ability to adapt. And within that, we have to be really careful. We don't sidetrack the emotional journey it takes to adapt. We have to let that play out a little bit. We want our kids to ask ourselves, "Okay, that didn't work out. So what next?" That's what we want. A really quick, "Okay, that did. That's that was the what I wanted." But the reality is this: Okay, I'm sad. Now what next?
0: How do you get a child to be able to think like that? Though, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's. They've got to have an environment with a surrounding of that sort of thought process in their environment to be able to start thinking like that. Look, so it's not an automatic thing, is it?
1: Well, there is a lot of resilience in our kids, but research is telling us that the skills of resilience are um, mostly learned or the main mechanism by which they learn is through modeling. Mm. And so when they see adults other kids, big brother, whoever it be in their life, having the ability to adapt to disappointments, to feel pain, but then to adapt to them. That's a very powerful message for them. Now, they're more likely to imitate those that they trust and feel connected with. So that is so powerful in this process, recognizing that's probably the only variable we can control, um, is, is our connection with them. But that opens the doorway for that real deep learning
0: yeah and they have to learn it themselves don't they to be able to deal with other things in life
1: and it takes some kids longer than others you know and and we need we need to recognize that their journey is is theirs and Mm. our job is to walk beside that journey
0: and pick them up if they really need to be picked up Otherwise, they can learn to pick themselves up and continue on that journey. It's a really interesting topic. I have another question here: how how to get a child to go to school when they have friends friendship issues? My twelve-year-old just flat out refuses to get out of bed. Yeah.
1: How do you deal with that? Well, there's a lot of this happening. <laughs> now, I ran a charity for twenty years, and. It, really was it something that was so consistent that you know that we dealt with and and the psychologists that I work with you know helped parents with I saw it and you know I'm a teacher too so I see it from that side of the coin as well and parents have always got to understand that they can partner with the school as much as you know as much as they need to and in fact open communication about these things is so so important so partnering with the school first and foremost a brilliant idea okay But I see it like this. Sometimes we have to be really intuitive with what our kids need along the journey. And sometimes what they need from us is this big adult in charge energy that says you're getting up this very instant, you're going to be dressed in 10 minutes and we're getting in the car. And it takes, I tell you, the energy and the the presence it takes to move that. significant but I've seen mums do this with 14 year old boys who would not get up pull the bed sheets off them and in charge energy and this is what's happening and there's a sense in kids who have a parent that really has that in charge energy there's this safety um, because parents are guiding the ship when they really really need to but the other flip of it is this sometimes we want our kids to conquer our fears and to get over things in an instant. And we want, to, want them to make a big leap and a big jump and it will be better tomorrow. And it's not going to be.
0: Yeah. And
1: for some kids who are really struggling with social anxiety or a whole range of other things, um, you know, they need to take this step-by-step with a tailored step-by-step plan. And we have to be happy with a movement in the right direction it is much harder to get a stone moving once it has stopped and mm-hmm. far better keeping it moving with very, very small steps, which might be going to school for half a day, or it might be going to school at 11, or it might be a whole range of things that are a compromise.
0: And, and not letting them get away with it when they, ne- they know they have a responsibility to be at school, but if their parent keeps giving in to them then they know after a while it becomes a habit and they know that they can get away with it so and that's parent, that in
1: charge energy phase.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah now there was a question you said partner with the school can you explain that a little bit please
1: absolutely so teachers are aware of you know of when kids are struggling and definitely aware when they're absent and they need open communication. They, they sometimes draw up more formal contracts and involve kids in the negotiation process of all this. But starting a dialogue with other caring adults in your child's life that actually can care. And it's almost like, you know how parents have got to have in charge energy. Let me tell you, when the teachers got in charge energy and the parents got in charge energy oh, and oh. grandmas got in charge energy, sometimes <laughs> it's just a safety net they need to get them moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah that that's quite powerful isn't it when you've got three surrounding surrounding uh, a question another question here how important are teenage are teenage as opposed to young younger years friendships so how important are teenage years as opposed to younger year friendships
1: yeah young people become much more socially aware in as they get older so in the developmental stages and as their brain is developing they are so much more aware in those teenage years and when you ask a group of seven eight nine students what's the difference between you now than in grade four and five they'll tell you i take longer to get ready in the morning (laughs) i'm so much more sensitive now i'm so much more self-conscious and it is a developmental thing but what that forces them to do sometimes is take big risks for social rewards, because the the desire and the drive to fit in is so significant that sometimes it can lead them to abandon their own character and integrity. And the biggest thing that our kids can ever hurdle over is that is that need sometimes to stand alone. It takes a huge amount of courage for young people to separate themselves from the pack and stand alone and any time they do that, it's a defining growing up moment for them.
0: That's a huge thing. It, it does take a lot of courage to stand alone. You know, particularly when you've got a group of, of, of students who want to do something and it, it doesn't fit with the integrity of one of the students and for them to step out and stand alone is pretty courageous
1: but we think about our own journey growing up and I know that as I grew up and as I you know started to discover who I was there was definitely moments where I separated myself and I've seen my children do it you know I've seen my children tell their friends they're working or you know can't be somewhere or and you can see them making that deliberate conscious choice Mm -hmm. to stand in their own space and it's a it's a it's a maturing moment for them, and we, you know, they will they will arrive on that one. But we have to cheer that on because it's an amazing thing. Quietly cheer it on, parents. Actually, pretend you didn't notice it at all. Just quietly cheer it, on, <laughs> very quietly. There's nothing more off-putting the mum going, "Yes, you didn't go to that party. Unreal."
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty difficult thing for a parent to to not do, isn't it? When you you you've got to sort of Contain yourself as a parent, too, yes. don't you? Because you can't be needy. No, because when you, when you, when your children are in need and you think, okay, let's see how they give them some space to work it out themselves. Yes. And if they can't work it out themselves after a period of time, then it'd be time to step in, wouldn't it?
1: Um, look, our timing and, and our timing, we can be very impatient sometimes as adults. Absolutely. Can't as we? a parent. Sometimes it can take a lot longer than we would like it to take. And sometimes we need to realise that we need to let go a little bit longer. My line is the safety line. If they're safe, you know, and they're not drowning, they're not swallowing water, um, yeah, give it a minute. Just give it a minute and lean into trust and lean into your responsibilities. And that sends them this subtle message of confidence because the next best step for our kids is actually already inside of them it's mm. just it's just bringing that out
0: you just got to allow that to come out don't you and and then and um, that means that the parent at some stages has to step back regardless of whether they want to or not to allow whatever it is to happen so that the child can learn
1: we need to champion autonomy like and we do as parents really do want to step back because we want to see our kids growing and mm. they can't grow without that experience.
0: Okay, I've got another question here. Mm-hmm. How to make my daughter understand about the effects of controlling play at lunchtime? Oh,
1: look, this is a difficult one, isn't it? Like, mm. controlling people prey on the kindest of souls at times as well. So, helping our kids really know when a relationship is not healthy for them and not doing them any good you know their confidence is diminishing or they can't make their own decisions anymore or they're very very anxious or they're becoming obsessed with that one friendship and this is a big big learning curve Mm -hmm. for kids. I think behind this is teaching kids that it's okay to say no and so many kids that get themselves in controlling playground relationships is because they actually wanna be nice to someone where they need to be able to draw a healthy boundary and say no. And just like we talked about pushing back with truth, sometimes our kids do need to really practise saying no and recognising that they can still be kind and say no at exactly the same time.
0: And, and That just brings to mind something that I've actually seen or I've had a conversation about. And it is, you know, this controlling the play. When one friend says they see someone have something that they want, and if that friend doesn't give it to them, then they're not allowed to play with that group.
1: It happens all the time, and for some kids, I, we need to give them some help them with some comeback lines, like we would be with pushing back with truth. Mm. You know, um, so some comeback lines might be, "I used, to, yeah, but like, that's okay. I've got lots of friends." and go and play someone else, you know. And for some kids, that line is not the most appropriate because it's not their reality. Mm. But it's so important that they have those short, sharp, just snappy little statements that can get them out of trouble. It's that what next mentality, like, you know, what next? Okay, this is not working. What next?
0: And the controller then learns that they can't take control of that person too, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting
1: often kids that get caught in these relationships too, they have a huge amount of empathy and they don't want to hurt the other person. And that, that there is, they're sort of putting themselves in the shoes of everybody else and maybe this unhealthy friendship, mm. but they're not standing in their own shoes, in their own identity. And that's what pushing back with truth and that's what giving them those short, sharp, snappy statements actually helps them do. It helps pull them back into their own, own position and their own identity instead of waltzing around in everybody else's shoes
0: Mm, mm, it's it's fascinating stuff isn't it uh okay another question here strategies to help your five-year-old make smart choices about friends he's being influenced in a bad way by new friends
1: Yeah so this is personal boundaries isn't it? Mm. Now five-year-olds are not my specialty okay so I really do work with eight years old and up so five-year-old would be like grade one. Now I did teach grade one back in the day and I can remember this scenario playing out but when kids are in grade one I feel like it would probably be a really appropriate thing to have a conversation with a teacher and actually be a little bit of a guardrail And the the line is actually safety. And there are a lot of relationships like that that I see go pear-shaped and be harmful for kids. And you don't want that to happen. So conversations with teachers, keeping things open and helping kids understand that it's okay to say no and where the boundaries actually are. And, you know, you can't control who kids hang out with at school, but you certainly can not encourage it outside of school. Or you can do exactly the opposite and have that person over to your house.
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting? You know, we, we, as adults, we learn to say no. Sometimes it takes us a long time. A lot so
1: te- of yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and some people can't say no. So yeah. teaching our children to be able to say no and have those boundaries is a really important thing. What sort of strategies would you give or suggest to teach your children to say no and feel comfortable about saying that.
1: Yeah. Okay, so I say to girls with regards to sexting when I speak to girls and I say, if you say no in exactly the same way you say to your mum when you don't want to clean your room (laughs) or you don't want to look after your little brother, you'll be totally fine. So SAS is fine, just not directed at your maths teacher. So inside of all of them, let me tell you, they know how to say no. It's just the intimidation that hits them at that point. And it's helping them really understand what fear feels like. And that moment where you have the courage to speak your truth, in that actual moment there, that's where, that's what resilience is made of. That's the moment where kids are harnessing those primitive flight or flight instincts and actually overriding that and actually standing in their own power and that right there is a very powerful moment now we need to recognize when they feel that in very small ways because from little things big things grow and so that self-awareness on a very small level is so important
0: Mm, and and it's that trusting themselves too when they say no and believing that they have that right yeah. to say no. And yeah. it is their right, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and, and recognising that feelings are important guideposts along their journey. Mm. You know, it's not just a feeling, it's actually communicating something to them. So when they feel intimidated or they feel sad or they they feel dismissed or pushed to a side, those, those feelings are actually really important for them to tap into.
0: Yeah. Another one here, another question. Helping young boys handle being picked on when they are not aggressive themselves without becoming a victim.
1: Yeah.
0: I suppose that applies to both, doesn't it, boys and girls?
1: Yeah, it does. And unfortunately in in high schools that I go into these days, 50% of the playground physical fights that happen are actually between girls as opposed to just between boys. Wow. Yeah. No, that's, that's hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's
0: what, what is that? What is, what makes girls want to actually physically fight other girls? I think is they're
1: it... really struggling to regulate their emotions these days and they yeah. can't go for one to a hundred um, and then not be able to move out of that anger. And so instead of moving from that feeling of feeling intensely angry, remember they're at this stage of life where everything is exaggerated, mm-hmm. then they are just, it's like, you know, they're picking on someone every day or trying to start a fight every day and they're not moving out of that feeling at all. Yeah. So it's, because, it's, I, I find it horrific to see, oh, just don't like it at all. Um,
0: well, just listening to you say it is like, wow. Yeah. Um, but it is that they have these, well I suppose it's their hormones, it could be it could be a lot of contributing factors that that create that anger, create that angst inside them, that it's low self one thing. low self esteem, yeah. that confidence, yeah. and they they have to they have to show up and and I suppose showing up is being a bully. Because that's what that is, isn't it? Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's assault, actually. So they're they're, (laughs) they're actually... They're they're channeling it all in one place, yes. But it's never just one thing, Faye. Like, I think we'd all like to just put our finger on one thing. You know, it's it's this or it's this or that's that experience or it's because, you know, home's unstable at the moment or it's because their mental health is poor or that but it's not it's this storm of things normally so it's normally three or four or five things happening in a kid's life and one of those things is often family instability but it's not always the only thing
0: do you find that when kids come from family as you refer to it and i quite like the way you refer to it family instability when they come from that sort of situation and they go into the school they become one of the bullies
1: Uh, because they're subservient at home yeah i'm sure there's research on that and i can't pull it right now and here but i would like to suggest that it is amazing how some children um adapt and cope in situations where home is really unstable far differently than other kids so it's like we said it's it's actually never one thing Mm. but it can be this perfect storm that that comes around a kid's life that really does tip it in a direction that's not healthy
0: and it it can only take one thing which will tip it over and then the anger starts and yeah yeah and And with
1: boys i mean teachers are always asking them to use their words rather than their fists Mm. and then boys are not big on words either so it's being (laughs) it's being able to have this range of strategies i find humor or just ignoring things are underused strategies for young people. They mm-hmm. feel like they have to confront something all the time. But with boys that are possibly in that kind of scenario where there's, you know, a bigger rooster boy, they're going to have to be clever and think of alternative ways to do things. And, and humour, uh, ignoring things is one but recognising that there is a time and a place to talk to helpful adults and teachers in your life and sometimes keeping a record or a diary of facts is the only way to really put a bully in their place.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? They're, They're not just in the schools, they're everywhere, aren't they? Okay, I have another one here for you, Michelle. How can we help our children identify toxic friends? nice one day, mean the next, yeah. and make better friend and and how to make better friend choices.
1: Yeah, and girls often find this. They feel like they're on the bottom of the pecking order at school or someone's hot then cold and hot then cold and best friend then one day. And I think this comes into this manipulative type of relationships we were talking about before as well. When young people come to the point where they are prepared to stand alone they're prepared to move away and let go of a relationship that's not healthy and stand alone it's such a powerful moment in their lives and that there is what i see young people get to the point of and when they recognize they are worth more what actually happens is they open themselves up to a range of other healthy friendships so it's like this Faye like kids I, I just say kids in a friendship group and they're at the bottom of the pecking order and it's hot cold or they're being picked on or whatever the moment they're prepared to say you know what standing alone is more integral to who I am than putting up with this what actually normally happens is they open the way to find new relationships and new friendships that they wouldn't have if they were hanging on to a friendship that wasn't healthy.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, there are some some kids that can't make or don't make friends easily. So in those times like lunchtime and break times, Mm -hmm. they go to the library just to hide and sit out so that they don't have to deal with all that that's going on outside.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's a re- that's a horrible reality for some kids. Yeah. Back up friends, parents, backup friends. The more diverse a range of friendships that your kids can have, um, the easier it will be for them to ride out the storms and the less their confidence will ride on one relationship going perfectly. And so friendships at school will always go up and down, but what you actually want to make sure is that they have a diverse range of backup, well, I call them backup friends, and I had a grade one girl. I was mentoring her many years ago, a little grade one girl. Normally don't take little ones, but anyway, she came into my world. And I was talking to her about this concept because her friendship up at school was up and down. And she looked at me, she said, shall I tell them that they're my backup friends? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, Michelle, you work with teenagers. <laughs> <This little laughs> one. But she understood totally, you know. It gives them something to talk about at school as well and something to leverage their confidence off. They need to belong.
0: But isn't that such beautiful innocence to say that? 100%. And, yeah. you know, back up friends. You know, you don't necessarily just have to have friends in school because you can have friends in, in other activities outside yeah. the school yeah. grounds yeah. and things like that. So maybe that can be a, a help for someone who's struggling with those friendships or those toxic friends within the school grounds.
1: Rebecca Sparrow has got some great stuff on friendships as well. And she talks about joining in. And I guess one way I've talked to young people about that before is just say, are you boring? Because, you know, like, are you you boring? And I'm talking to, you know, 13, 14 year olds. (laughs) And they look at me and go, I said, well, like the last time you were like sitting around at lunchtime, did you even say anything? And they're like, No, and sometimes kids get to a point where they've lost their confidence so much they lose their voice but it's important to remind them that to connect with people you have to be contributing and we want them to be able to use their voice and contribute and show up and join in um, and join clubs at school and you know kick a football and have a go with other kids because they're not going to make relationships unless they're prepared to join in. And, and
0: that, you know, you said using using their voice, which is a really important and powerful thing to be able to use your voice, regardless of whether you think that what you have to say is important or not. Yeah. If you have that that courage to speak up and say something, it's better than sitting there when you want to say something, but you're too scared.
1: yeah. And it takes a long time for our kids to learn the wisdom of when to speak up and when not to. Mm. And too often times they get that wrong and they try to wear the pe- pe- parent hat or the teacher hat. And in those moments, they, they actually can really do a lot of damage to their relationships rather than sit in a place of wisdom with it. So they're, they're going to get it wrong a lot of the time and we just have to help them, guide them through it.
0: Oh goodness! Um, I mean, they don't just get it wrong. We can get it wrong too, oh, can't we? Yeah. So, so they're, we can. <laughs> they're not alone there. I have another question here, Michelle. It, is it a bad thing that female children seem to have one very close friend and <laughs> don't? Yeah, yeah yes. and don't really want to branch out and bond with others.
1: Yeah, exclusivity, isn't it? Um, yeah. To develop resilience in our kids, the broader range of relationships they can have, the better. Yeah. But if your child is is blessed and lucky enough to found someone that she feels accepted with for who she is, she's able to process her emotions and she feels a deep sense of, of belonging and valid- it, she feels validated for who she is, that's what they're looking for. And if they do find that in one person, the, the shame about it is sometimes is that they can invest everything into that at the expense of other experiences that which could do them a lot of good. And then other people that could be enjoying your child as well. So, again, nothing wrong with the backup friend concept even though she's very blessed to have a best friend.
0: Yeah, BFF. I, you know, I only learned about BFFs years ago not when i was at school what was bff what did that mean but anyway i think that comes to um to the end of our questions for this evening but we've got another session uh, the same on thursday evening at seven thirty. so anyone that has any questions that we haven't answered for you tonight then we can answer those on thursday night for you so thank you Thank you, Michelle. It, My
1: pleasure. It's been
0: wonderful listening to your concepts and your strategies and how to work with children. It's not dealing with them. It's working with them mm-hmm. to give them that confidence and that ability to come into their own and be, you know, love themselves as, as an individual child. It's really important. So if you want to check out michelle her website is michellemitchell.org it's
1: michellemitchell.org and if anyone's after a resource for 8 to 12-year-olds, this little journal here is full of strategies for friendships.
0: Okay, Everyday Resilience Journal. The Everyday Girl. Resilience Journal. It comes with a video
1: series too that classroom teachers use, but sometimes parents are just like, I want to get these strategies into kid language, and that's what the journal tries to do.
0: Into kid language?
1: Kid language. It's just, <laughs> We're
0: all just, kids. We could all do it, couldn't we? <laughs> take it
1: down, make it make sense. Get to yeah. the point. That's kid yeah. language.
0: And we will see you, Michelle, on Thursday evening for another session uh, Handling Tricky Friendships Day. Thank you so much. I'm Faye Waterman and we shall see you on Thursday evening. Okay. Bye for now.
1: Thanks, Faye. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you to our guest host, Faye Waterman, and to our regular host, Jackie Vanderbilt for a great two sessions with Michelle Mitchell on handling tricky friendships. If you'd like to hear more from Michelle Mitchell, she's scheduled to be a guest again on VPC Live on Thursday, the 23rd of July at 7.30pm. We hope that you can join us then. Bye for now. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.